We are in a series called Scripture Songs. We started last week, and we, each week we're going to look at a different song in Scripture. And last week I asked the question, how do you study a song without the music and the profound nature and the difficulty in trying to look at a song that's meant to be sung and looking at it in the in the biblical sense and really investigating it as God's word and scripture. That's why we call it scripture songs because it's scripture, but it's a song. And though we don't have the music, we do have uh, two critical components. We have the stories that surround the songs and we have the lyrics. And uh, like we started last week, I'm going to start with some music from culture. Last week I told you my favorite album was Tom Petty and But this week, I'm going to quote a lyric, and we'll see who in the room can finish the lyric. It'll probably be many of us, and it'll prove my point, I think. Okay, so here's the words to a a song from popular culture a while ago. Shot through the heart, and you're to blame. You give love a bad name. Yeah, my eclectic examples and my eclectic mix just keeps getting better and better. That's John Bon Jovi. Yeah, and, you know, it's funny. I was having lunch with someone, or I was meeting with someone earlier this week, and we started talking about how songs enter in in ways that we don't even realize it. And this person may or may not go to our church, but uh, they'll remain nameless. But they, they remarked that uh, they were at a John Bon Jovi concert, and they looked over and saw their spouse just singing at the top of their lungs this song, You Give Love a Bad Name. And, and we just talked about that. Like the things we'll sing, you know, the choruses that we'll sing from pop radio, they just get stuck in our minds because, you know, the modern strong song structure is, is generally uh, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, Sometimes we come back to the bridge, and then we go chorus, 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 and it's effective. I mean, it's not necessarily bad. It's just a simple song structure that works, and it's what we've generally become accustomed to. And oftentimes, you find in the chorus the main point of the song. So if you want to know the whole point of this song, it's in the chorus, shot through the heart, and you're to blame you give love a bad name. That's the whole song. If you look at the rest of the lyrics, they're just real simple. It's a breakup song. And uh, over and over again, they sing this chorus, and it gets stuck in our minds. And songs have a way of just pr- carrying one big idea in a way that other things do not. And that's what we'll see today. Now, the Hebrew lyric writer had a different toolbox. Uh, Last week we saw in the psalm that we looked at that there was a chorus that kind of tracked through the song. But oftentimes, if you look at the songs of Scripture, they don't follow a linear pattern. They follow a different structure. And uh, I'll give you the technical name. It's called chiastic parallelism or chiastic structure or a chiasm. And this is a a pattern that is followed through uh, not only biblical uh, songs, but other plays, and, and it's, it dates back uh, as early as the Bible, the structure, and it's still used. Um, but I'm going to call it something different. I'm going to call it diving into the deep end of the pool. And I think diving into the deep end of the pool is analogous to chiastic song structure. 
So let me tell you why. Um, when you were a kid and you didn't know how to swim yet, the number one priority was staying in the shallow end of the pool. I know this because I remember it a little bit, but I, I've also seen it in my own kids. And then there's, in many pools, there's like the flat section and then it just drops off to the deep end. And there's this mysterious line, like, where does the deep end start? And as we're learning to swim, we venture closer and closer to the deep end. I love when my kids say to me, Daddy, I'm ready for the deep end. And I do what every good parent does. I throw them in, (laughs) and they live to tell about it. Now, I don't even know if that's the right thing to do. I don't even know if I've done that, but I have thrown my kids into a pool. But we throw our children into the deep end when they're ready. We We don't always do it before they're ready. Um... Sometimes we do. I, I'm just going back. I know there's, there's these crazy ways to teach kids to swim. That's from my head right now. But we're moving on. Diving into the deep end of the pool is analogous to uh, chiatic strong structure because uh, as you were ready for the deep end, you decided, I'm going to touch the bottom of the deep end. And you had this eight and a half foot journey to the depths. And your whole goal was to touch the bottom. And then after that, you just kind of flip back to the surface really quickly. And that's, that's kind of like a uh, chiatic structure. It doesn't follow a linear pattern like some of our songs do. It follows sort of parallel structure to a center point. So in its simplest form, the, the chiastic outline can be diagrammed with letters, and there's basically parts that mirror each other. A simple way to think about it is A, B, C, B prime, A prime. And so the, two end, the beginning and the end verse are the A parts, and they mirror each other. They either say the same thing or they say something in comparison with each other. And then the B part does the, the same. And then in the middle, you actually find the center point of the song, which is sort of like touching the bottom of the pool. That's essentially the most important part of the song. So it doesn't use a repeating chorus. It uses structure to get to its point. And we're going to see that in a song today. So you can turn to 2 Samuel chapter 22, and it's on page 227 of the Bibles that we have here. The song structure is important because about a third of the Psalms, 45 Psalms, have this pattern. And other places in Scripture often will have a chiastic pattern built into it, and it's a way to kind of draw out meaning from the text. So our goal here in this song that we're going to look at is to start in the shallow end, dive deep, touch the bottom, and then come back to the surface. And we're going to do it with King David. David was uh, the most prolific songwriter in all the Bible. Um, Most half the Psalms were written by King David. So 73 Psalms carry his name. And it's really interesting. If you think about when David was anointed as a boy, one of the first calls that he got to serve the Lord was really interesting. He was anointed by the Spirit of the Lord by Samuel. And when he was anointed, it said the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. But it left Saul, who was the current leader of the people at that point. And Saul was tormented by this. So he went searching and, oh, the son of Jesse, David, he plays the harp. Bring him in. And it says that David entered into the service of Saul. Whenever David would play his harp, the evil spirit would, 
would lift off of Saul. So even in God's anointing of David, he was anointed as a musician. And God used his musicianship even in his early anointing. It's really amazing. So we'll look at a song from 2 Samuel chapter 22. This one's really interesting. If you were tracking with the reading for the sermon series, we asked you to read Psalm 18 last week. Psalm 18 is the same as 2 Samuel 22. It's one of the few songs in Scripture that shows up in two places, almost identical. And it's in 2 Samuel for a different reason than it is in the Psalms. Uh, Because in the Psalms, it's part of the worship songbook of the Hebrew church. But here, it's part of the context of King David. It's part of his story. So that's what we're going to see. So let's jump in and see if we can track with this pattern. The first verse sets the context. It says, David sang to the Lord the words of this song when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. So this song was used in the life of King David when he was delivered from his enemies and one of his main enemies in life was Saul. At one point, Saul sent 3,000 men to chase down David. And this is the song that David sang before the Lord. So let's look at this song. This is, so this will be the A part. So this is kind of where we're starting. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation. He is my stronghold, my refuge, and my savior. From violent men you save me. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I am saved from my enemies. The first section is David praising the Lord. I love the vivid language he uses, the way he describes God as his deliverer. When he was pursued, this is how he recognized God, though he never saw him. The Lord was his rock, fortress, deliverer, refuge, shield, horn of salvation, stronghold, savior. I, I was wondering if David had kept going, what he would have said. I thought of this, God is our substance, foundation, security, rescue, backbone, courage, muscle, nerve, power, stability, tenacity, vitality, exemption, lifeline, pardon, restoration. And right after this, David reveals his secret to dealing with his enemies. It says that he calls out to the Lord who's worthy of praise. That's section A. Let's look at section B, beginning in verse 5. We'll look at this in chunks, but section B is a large section of this song. It says, the waves of death swirled about me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I called out to my God from his temple. He heard my voice. My cry came to his ears. Death and the grave are pursuing David. And again, he cries out, and his cry is heard. It travels to the Lord in his temple, and it makes its way to the ear of God. This section, this B section, is 
the Lord delivering David from his enemies. Listen to the language, the personification that David applies to God. It's really beautiful. Verse 8, the earth trembled and quaked. The foundations of the heavens shook. They trembled because he was angry. Smoke rose from his nostrils. Consuming fire came from his mouth. Burning coals blazed out of it. He parted the heavens and came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. He mounted the cherubim and flew. He soared on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his canopy around him. The dark rain clouds of the sky. Out of the brightness of his presence, bolts of lightning blazed forth. The Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. He shot arrows and scattered the enemies, bolts of lightning, and routed them. Now, none of us wish we were David, but he saw things, and he experienced the saving power of the Lord. I love that phrase where it talks about how God uses darkness as his canopy. In Daniel, it says that the Lord knows what dwells in the darkness, but the light dwells with him. But here we, we, we hear that even darkness can be used by the Lord in his fierce presence before the wickedness of the land. It's awesome. And then we hear how David himself is rescued. Look at verse 17. Talking about God, it says that he reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out, up out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy and from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. God reached down and rescued David. As hard as David tried, he couldn't rescue himself. But the Lord reached down to the deep sea and drew him out. And this brings us to the center of the song. The next verses start the C section of the song, which is we're getting near the bottom of the pool. We're just not quite there yet. But I love how it just hones in in verse 21. The Lord has dealt with me According to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands, he has rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord. I have not done evil by turning from my God. All his laws are before me. I have not turned away from his decrees. I have been blameless before him and have kept myself from sin. The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness in his sight. This is really quite interesting how David describes himself. Listen to the words that David uses about himself. My righteousness, cleanness of my hands, he's rewarded me. I've kept the ways of the Lord. I have not done evil by turning from my God. All his laws are before me. I have not turned away from his decrees. He's been blameless. He's kept himself from sin. And the Lord has rewarded David, according to David's righteousness. I bet you didn't expect to see that in the center of the song, did you? It's not where we would have maybe naturally come to, but it's where the song brings us. 
I thought Paul said that no one was righteous, not even one. So how do we understand David, who here is righteous? That's what the text says. It says that he's righteous. So how do we understand that? And this is where, again, it helps really knowing the context of the song. Listen to some of the the description of David's righteousness through Scripture. In 1 Kings chapter 14, King Jeroboam had taken over uh, the northern kingdom and had been given given it by the Lord. Uh, And listen to what a prophet says to King Jeroboam. He says, Go tell Jeroboam that this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I raised you up from among the people and made you a leader over my people Israel. I tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you, but you have not been like my servant David, who kept my commands and followed me with all his heart, doing only what was right in, his, in my eyes. And then in 1 Kings chapter 11, King Solomon is contrasted with King David. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. And then in 1 Kings chapter 15, verse 5, it says this about David. For David had done what was right in the eyes of the Lord and had not failed to keep any of the Lord's commands all the days of his life, except in the case of Uriah the Hittite. And that's where David's righteousness is complicated. Um, Uriah had a wife. Her name was Bathsheba. David committed adultery with Bathsheba. Turn over to Psalm 51. You have to kind of look fast forward. It's probably, I would say, Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is, it's definitely in David's top five songs. It's probably his number one billboard release, Psalm 51. And it's helpful to look at in contrast to the song that we're looking at. Look at Psalm 51. I'll read the first five verses just so we can feel it. For the director of music, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. We know that David, though he was righteous, and we're going to work that out, he knew his sin. And he knew it in ways that many of us will never even experience. Um, He goes on to ask to be restored with a clean heart. And after uh, David committed adultery, he had Uriah murdered. And then the son that they bore together died in infancy. And then they went on to have Solomon, but David also had other sons. And two of his sons... Uh, were close, and then he had two sons and a daughter, and 
one of the brothers and sisters had relations that were despicable, and the other brother murdered that brother, and then that guy rose up, and he drove David out of Jerusalem. So it's safe to say, we can say that David was a sinner. He was full of sin. But it's, he's remembered for his righteousness. We remember his sin. Go back to 2 Samuel chapter 12 through 16. You can read all about it. But at the end of his life, it's summarized here with his righteousness. So how do we understand that? One thing, one thing that I found really helpful and encouraging in this text is David never lose, loses sight that it's God lifting him up and saving him. So even though in the center we find David's righteousness, it's God saving him. From the beginning, he's praising him. He's lifting him out of the deep. He delights in David because of his righteousness. But we'll find when we spring back up to the shallows that David once again recognizes the Lord as his rock and his savior. And I think this is a helpful distinction uh, because it helps us uh, distinguish between sin and righteousness. They're two different things. Sin is when we turn our backs on God and when we allow evil to enter in and when we partake in evil. We all do it. We've all done it. We'll all do it again. Uh, that a sinful life is something that we have a lot of experience in. But a life of righteousness is contrasted with a sinful life in the sense that it's a direction in life. So if you think of the sinful directions in our lives, we can also think about the righteous paths, the ways that God leads us. And that's what David is remembered for. And it's here that we're going to find the center of the song around this idea. Look at Second uh, Samuel. Go back to Second Samuel. You want to turn back there and you want to look at verse 26. In verse 26, we find the center of the song. It says, and just imagine David singing this before the Lord. It says, to the faithful, you show yourself faithful. To the blameless, you show yourself blameless. To the pure, you show yourself pure. But to the crooked, you show yourself shrewd. You save the humble, but your eyes are on the haughty to bring them low. You're my lamp, O Lord. The Lord turns my darkness into light. With your help, I can advance against a troop. With my God, I can scale a wall. I love the pattern of this, like, to the faithful, God's faithful. To the blameless, he's blameless. To the pure, he's pure. But then even God breaks that pattern. He says, to the crooked, he's shrewd. Jesus told his disciples to be as shrewd as snakes. So what does it mean that God is shrewd with the crooked? I looked at that word, and I think shrewdness is something we often apply to evil forces like Satan and the evil one, and they're crafty and cunning and shrewd. But there's another aspect of the word shrewd, and that means artful wisdom or astute wisdom, wisdom that is above man. And that's the kind of shrewdness that God deals with when he's dealing with the wicked. 
And again, we see David just uh, recognizing that it's the Lord that brings him out of his darkness into light. Just really beautiful language. So there you go. We touched the bottom. That was the bottom of the pool. That was the center. Verse 26, is, it's 50 verses. It's a long song. It's found right in the middle. And now we'll just kind of spring back to the surface. Now, the things on the surface, it doesn't mean that they're not important or that they're less important. It just means that they're part of the pattern that's bringing the main point of the song out. So we'll still see great things in here. Look at verse 33. So verse 33 is in the B section. Remember, the B section is the Lord delivers David. And now it's the Lord equipping David to be delivered. Listen to verse 33. It is God who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to stand on the heights. He trains my hands for battle. My arms can bend a bow of bronze. You give me your shield of victory. You stoop down to make me great. You broaden the path beneath me so that my ankles do not turn. I just love the language of this song. It's just, I think it's great. And I just, I think it's so cool how David never loses sight of the Lord as his deliverer. And he kind of brings us back through that. And then he ends his song in praise, which would be like the C section. Look at verse 47. The Lord lives. Praise be to my rock. Exalted be God, the rock, my savior. He is the God who avenges me. He puts the nations under me, who sets me free from my enemies. You exalted me above my foes. From violent men, you rescued me. Therefore, I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. I will sing praises to your name. He gives his king great victories. He shows unfailing kindness to his anointed, to David and his descendants forever. David comes back to the image of the Lord as his rock and his foundation and his saving God who is worthy of praise. And I love the image of David. It's David, the one that's singing. In this song, David is establishing himself as the one who should have been praised. I didn't even read it, but there's a section in the B section, the last B section, where David says, people I don't even know are bowing down to me. And yet he opens the song in Psalms by describing himself as the servant of the Lord. And I think if we think of David the songwriter and David the singer, there's not much that will humble a person than singing for another. I mean, maybe you would do it for your wife or your husband or someone you love, but many of us will not sing a song for someone else. But for those of us that have, it's a humbling venture to put yourself out there. No matter how good you are at singing, it still is. And, and David did this. He sang before the Lord, which to me is a sign of his humility and a sign of his recognition that the Lord is God and worth singing to. I want to uh, just close around the idea of David's righteousness and our righteousness and David's sin 
and our sin. Like, how should we look at David? David uh, becomes a a forward-looking figure of Christ in the Gospel of Luke. When Luke is describing Jesus, listen to what he says. When speaking about Christ, he says, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. So Jesus Christ, our Lord, inherited the throne of his father David. And Jesus can trace back his lineage through King David. That's part of what that means. So the fact that David is righteous um, is a prefigure of who Christ is. But the fact that David is a sinner is a recognition that David was not the Savior and that he needed the Savior and that he was, uh, all of his acts were filthy rags before the Lord. And yet the Lord did look at his righteousness. And that's where I just want to say this thing. It has to be understood with the right ears. But I, I think you can understand this, given everything we've talked about right here. David was righteous. David, King David, was righteous. He lived a righteous life. Doesn't mean he was sinless, but he was a man after God's own heart. And I think oftentimes, and I find myself being so aware of my own shortfall and sin that I never really believe God can live profoundly in my life and, and live out righteousness in my life. But you know what? Scripture tells us that that can happen. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I love what it says there. It says, we should not view each other from a worldly standpoint. It says, in Christ, we should not view each other with a worldly view. Because in Christ, we are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And in Christ, we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. And then it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, toward the end, it says, Jesus, who had no sin, became sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. That's, that's what God wants for us. And I just, I want to be clear. I want to be clear. The source of our righteousness is Jesus Christ. If you think about your own life, just think about your own righteousness. It only takes a second to realize it's, you didn't derive this righteousness. You didn't bring it out of yourself. It was God's righteousness coming out of you like a spring of living water. And, but that doesn't mean that we can't celebrate when we follow the perfect ways of God. And I just want to encourage all of you that we, we should never lose sight of our sinful nature and the ways that we let God down. And the more I follow God, the more aware I am of how much of a failure I am in the way that I want to try to live out my life before him and how sinful I am. And, and that's healthy. We should never lose sight of that. But we also should look ahead. Like we're allowed to look ahead. First Peter, Peter said in First Peter, be holy. He, he, he called out the Levitical law. Be holy because God is holy. 
And that's the call of the believer, is, to, is a, a life of holiness. And I know that's a challenging teaching, but, but David's song, that's what it teaches us. Um, so you give love a bad name, bad name, it repeats that. <laughs> it uses repetition over and over again to get its point across. The Hebrew songwriter had a different uh, strategy. He wouldn't repeat the chorus. Sometimes he'd say it once, like in this song. So I want to say it over us, because I think it's great. To the faithful, show yourself faithful. To the blameless, show yourself blameless. To the pure, show yourself pure. This is what God does for us. He says, to the faithful, you show yourself faithful. To the blameless, you show yourself blameless. To the pure, you show yourself pure. But to the crooked, you show yourself shrewd. God is righteous. He's a source of righteousness, but he does want us to share in that and, and to live in it. And I know that's challenging and complicated, but you know what? In Christ, we are a new creation. In Christ, we're a new creation. In Christ, we're a new creation. Can I get an amen? I'm calling for one. Because in Christ, we are a new creation. And we, we're not dead anymore. You're not dead. You know, so wake up from slumber and be alive in Christ. And that's, that's hard, you know? It's hard to live that out. But we, we, I think it's, it's best understood when we really hone in on Jesus as the source of everything righteous and, and look at his holiness and his perfection. And when we do that, it, it's just so obvious that it's, it's not what we conjure up on our own.